Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. This podcast is part of the Darkness Collective. Visit darkness.org to discover more shows like this one. The Darkness Awaits. You're listening to the Wicked Library. <laughs> Warning! If you haven't figured out that the Wicked Library has strong themes of an adult, sometimes violent and decidedly scary nature, then by all means, keep listening. Go on, it's just that you're not going to complain about it. Oh, you can try, but you'll be scoffed at and ridiculed mercilessly by the host, the narrators, the producers, and you could bet your dangling participle me. Go ahead, try it. You're not going to like it one little bit, but our millions of listeners will eat it up. <laughs> and that's not hyperbole, kiddies. So there's your warning. Enjoy the show, kiddies. <laughs> Welcome to episode number 818 of the Wicked Library. As always, before we get started today, a big thank you to our new and ongoing supporters. If you enjoy the show and you want to help us keep making it, you should support us on Patreon. Our supporters get great rewards like access to our archives, ad-free shows, and more. Plus, at the $5 a month and above level, you get to hear our bonus stories first and get access to more content, like our show Wicked Fairy Tales, as told by your librarian currently only available to Patreon supporters. Sign up today at patreon.com forward slash wicked library. We're working very hard this season to make the show sustainable for season nine and beyond, and we do need your help to do that. A big thank you to those who took the time to rate us five stars and write a short review for us on iTunes. Your ratings do help others find the show, and we love hearing from you. Today's episode features five wickedly dark poems by Stoker Award-winning author Stephanie M. Whitovich. We also have the first chapter of her debut novel, The Eighth. Unfortunately, due to some scheduling conflicts, we do not have an interview with today's author. Today's storyteller is Nelson W. Piles, accompanied by a custom score written by our resident composer, Nico Viteze, of We Talk of Dreams. Please, if you enjoy the stories you hear, find the work of the author and buy her work keeps her making more. You can learn more about Stephanie and find links to her work on her bio page at thewickedlibrary.com. Now, let's get wicked. Hello, kiddies. You know who I am by now. Sit down and relax while you can. Your librarian has taken such good care of you for seven seasons. I see no need to lighten up for season eight. 
Hold on to your breath, kiddies. It might just be your last. Once again, it's story time at the Wicked Library. <laughs> Your ghost. You live in my bookshelves, in the spaces between the walls where my nails raked the plaster, where my screams went to hide when it all got to be too much. There are parts of you under my doormat, stuffed between the cushions of the couch that I burned, lodged somewhere deep inside my purple backpack, the one I threw in the river after our last night. Yes, you live in my mouth, in the taste of honey and freshly ground mint, on the edge of burnt toast and coffee grinds from the roasted beans I threw out six months ago. In fact, there are pieces of you still stuck in my throat, wedged in the lining of my stomach, swimming in my self-induced vomit from when I tried to purge the memory of your tongue. Yet inside me, You multiply, flourish, like infected seedlings pumping poison through my veins, the essence of you bubbling in my blood, forever reminding me that you're here to stay, that you're not leaving anytime soon. When I promised him murder... Whiskey stained my notebook. He stained my lips. I pushed my hair behind my ear, thought about pulling it up, about letting the ravens out. But I sat there, legs crossed, stockings ripped, my curls settling on my shoulders, while I played with the ring I won in a bet two years ago from a bar down the street. And the lights were down, The people were watching, and yet I couldn't stop remembering. Couldn't stop seeing how this would play out. Him pressed against me. My hand on his cheek. But music filled the bar, his tongue, my mouth. I wrote poetry to the sound of his vocal cords. Lyrics to the melodies he'd strum on my body. And when he walked away, hair down, body tense... I'd smile with the vibrations that danced in the room, my words searing, my phrases piercing, him unknowing as they slid down his throat like a reverse siren song. And the lights were down, the people were watching, and yet I couldn't stop remembering, couldn't stop seeing how this would play out, breathless and panting, my hand on his cheek and death stained my fingertips his blood my hands I smoothed out my dress reapplied my lipstick careful to get the perfect shade of red the bar was closing but I was already gone my venom toxic a well hidden drug and the lights were down the people were watching And yet I couldn't stop remembering, couldn't stop seeing how this would play out. Stiff and sorry, 
my hand on his cheek. Of my wounds, there are many. Snapshots of blood and bone. There's a knife in my head. But my migraine was two years in the making, stitched to the side of my skull, like the arrow tip launched behind my eye, buried in my brain like the bruises of last night's thunderstorm. My teeth ripped from my mouth, shoved down my throat like how the sky pushes out rain. Of my wounds there are many. See the delicate stigmata cut into my hands and feet. The gashes dug into my thighs, the tally mark slashes on my wrists. I am the punctured female, the pincushion of hysteria, a traumatized sack of feminine injury, the flesh of my flesh, the scar of my scar. I am a collection of lesions and lacerations, a patchwork of black and blue contusions, worn out from where you scrubbed me raw, beat me till I seeped red like rare woman's steak. Look to me on this table as I bleed and break, a toy of operation, a surgical muse to the amputation of bodily consciousness. Hear me when I say I feel nothing, that with each incision and penetration I am dead, gone from this world of torment and torture, a disappearance, an acceptance to oblivion, to the land where I can forget the flower. The blossom of what I saw lies underneath. Yes, use my soon-to-be corpse as a name tag, as a placard to the other girls who are destined to bleed. I'm closing my eyes to your knives now, deafening myself to the fractures you inflict. I will cease to be your canvas of mutilation. Only a head... A torso, a heart. Best to photograph me while in transition. It's the last chance you'll have to try and locate my soul. Seduced by Monsters There's a crocodile in my bed. A merman in my shower, and sometimes when I leave my apartment, I feel your hand on my shoulder, your breath on my neck. A story I've read a thousand times, one that I can't seem to shake, can't seem to put to sleep, because there's a madman in my closet, a sociopath between my legs, and there's no remedy for the bite on my shoulder, to the vampire that drains me at night, to the wolfman who eats my heart because I share my home with nightmares. Open my door to fiends, and I have no one to blame but myself when the lights go out, when I start to scream, when I realize that sometimes, yes, sometimes, monsters are just monsters, and nothing more. Versions of my mutilated self. My self-portrait is off. 
Off like the version who smokes in abandoned tunnels. Off like the version who slips into the black. Off like the version who whispers into palms. Pulls magic from the stars. Takes curses from the earth. Licks afterlife from the graves. My self-portrait is bleeding. Bleeding like the artery I accidentally hit. Bleeding like the words I used to try to get you to stay. Bleeding like the girl who lives in her memories. Fears voices long past gone. Feels pain inside her walls. Sleeps with monsters in her dreams. My self-portrait is bone. Bone like the calcium I have to take to get better. Bone like the leg I shattered on the road. Bone like the color of my hospital walls. Yelling for you to let me out. Begging for you to come back. Pleading for you to stay away. Because this self-portrait is better. Better like the bleached floorboards of my home. Better like the missing organs in their chests. Better like the dying flowers on my desk. Screaming about absence. Crying about pain. Laughing about emptiness. The emptiness of it all. The Eighth Chapter One Paimon set himself on fire. The idea of performing another collection made him sick. It pulled at his insides, stretched his stomach tight and raw, and just when he thought he'd purged all his guilt, another wave of nausea hit. Bless me, my sins. He opened his mouth and swallowed the flames. They waltzed down his throat, spinning their partners in a sizzling duet, red and orange tangos, yellow and blue ballets, and when they dipped into his chest, he screamed. The burn felt good, but not as good as the whip. Paimon stood naked in the burning chamber and beat himself red. The black leather straps left lines on his flesh as the flames licked at his blood. They lapped at the crimson sweat with forked tongues like hellhounds after a long run, but it was the release he longed for. He yearned for something to suck out his regret, and pain was his only option. Just a few more minutes, he promised himself. His body shook like a beaten dog. His wedding ring seared a bloody circle around his finger. The air, thick with smoke, gagged him as he dropped to his knees. The glass walls were blackened with soot, and bits of charred flesh littered the ground. Skin pulled near the drain. With each burn, he felt stronger, more able to carry out the task that stood ahead of him. He knew that the others frowned at his routine. Hidden in the corners, they smirked at him when he walked the halls of the monastery, stared at him during mass as if he were a leper, but they never said anything. The way they refused to make contact with him said enough. Paimon reached for the silver cord that dangled above him, thought twice about pulling it, but then yanked it down. Water poured from the spigot and extinguished the surrounding flames. The glass walls lifted, expelling smoke and the sweet smell of burnt flesh, and then disappeared through the mirror slits in the ceilings. Still on his knees, Paimon crawled out of the chamber and onto the cool slate floor of his cell. His body, unable to adapt to Hell's chilled embrace, went into shock 
and he lay there for a few moments, convulsing as the cold put out the fire, and he began to heal. Marissa. Paimon thought back to the first time he chastised himself. It was shortly after his first mortal kill and the guilt he felt for the young girl ate away at him like a parasite. The pain of the whip and later the fire made him feel good, forgiven. He didn't like what he was, but he couldn't help it either, so he'd beat himself bloody and put to death the earthly deeds his body committed. Fornication, impurity, passion. He'd lost sight of who he wanted to forgive him long ago. But he knew it wasn't God. That man didn't exist. To Paimon, there was only him. Paimon's mouth tingled with the aftertaste of shame as a knock tapped on his door. He wiped the leftover tears from his eyes and blinked a few times to steady his focus. He checked to make sure the lock was still in place, and when he realized it was, he closed his eyes and tried to fall into prayer. Paimon inhaled dust and ash, answering the visitor with monastic silence. Whoever it was could go away. The demon wasn't in the mood for an audience, especially now. Bless me my sins, and the sins to which I am bound to make. Sire, I know you're in there, I can see the smoke, said the messenger. I'll leave the parcel outside the door, but know that the devil is insistent that you leave for rounds this evening. You would be wise not to disappoint him. A grumble escaped Paimon's parched lips. Words were beyond him. He coughed and sputtered, shook the mixture of blood and phlegm out of his palm, and realized he still gripped the whip with his other hand. The mere thought of going back up there, and so long after his last assignment, sent his mind reeling. It wasn't so much the job he hated, but the memories that resurged every time he stepped foot on mortal ground. Streams of forgotten people and old places flowed through his thoughts like an antique film, but it always ended the same. The death of the leading lady was inevitable. She had to die, and Paimon had to watch it. Over and over again. He took a deep breath and dug his nails into the handle of the whip. Pieces of black leather buried themselves under his rage-induced claws, and with what energy he could muster, he threw his arm behind him in a quick snap and lashed out at his back as he screamed out her name. Paimon howled in agony. The roar was deep, guttural, and it shook the rotted walls, sending a dusting of grit down to the floor. Why am I always the monster? Why was I chosen to suffer? Without the fire to concentrate on, the room began to spin. Paimon dropped the whip as a familiar hole ate through his chest. He collapsed as he struggled to find air. One. Two. Three. Marissa, stay with me. Four. Five. Six. Don't leave me. Seven. Eight. Nine. No. Please! Ten. Her face evaporated like a thin fog as Paimon wrapped his arms around his knees. Adrenaline swept through his body and dissolved in the draft riding the floor. He wished he were dead, 
Not the dead that mortals think happen to them after they die, but dead in his soul. The flesh meant nothing. The spirit? It was obsolete. A ghost's body bag before its real death. Yes, what kept a person walking after their heart stopped beating was their soul, specifically where it ended up. In the distance, the bells chimed. Paimon mouthed the count of the hour in his head. It would be sundown soon, and he didn't have much time to prepare. Soon the halls of the monastery would be alive with blessings and prayers, floggings and torture. He didn't want to leave the solitude of his chamber, but if his brothers and sisters already saw the smoke, then they knew a collection was on the horizon, because that was the only time Paimon prayed. They would be waiting for him to surface, all outside itching to gawk at the reclusive creature's return to work. Their excitement over his pain and humiliation disgusted him. No wonder we're all in hell. Paimon picked himself up, hearing the subtle crack and pop of his bones as he walked over to the ironclad door. It wasn't like him to go into a job without studying the case, but the afternoon's festivities took precedence over whomever the devil had in mind for the ceremony. Praying was a necessity after all. The door whimpered as he pulled it open. It stuck at first, as if imaginary hands held it to the ground, but then it gave in, like all good things do in time. Paimon rubbed the crusted tears from his eyes and blinked. The package lay before him, neatly bound in twine, and tied off in a bow, as if it were some sort of present. Some gift. He bent down and picked up the parcel. It was heavy, a lot heavier than the others had been, but that didn't mean anything. Some sins came with a darker past, which in turn meant more paperwork, more history. Depending on the case, there could, and most likely would, be anything from death certificates, photographs, and suicide notes in there. There would be a list of victims, potential targets, and a detailed report of how each incident had been carried out to detect the motive, pattern, and classification of each sin. If Paimon did his job like he was supposed to, he'd know everything about the hit before he got on scene. But after his prayer session with the whip, he didn't have any energy to prepare. Paimon hung his head in contemplation of what he was about to do when the piercing screech of the warning siren rang throughout the halls. If he didn't hurry, he'd miss the ferry. And Charon hated when collectors were late. Damn it. Tonight, all he had time for was a name. He'd have to figure out the rest as he went along. Paimon plucked the wrinkled tag off the package and sliced his thumb on the edge of the label. His skin opened and dribbled out a small drop of crimson as he read the name aloud. Rhea Harmon. The name slid across his tongue and lingered on his lips. It tasted familiar. Safe. Like a homecoming after years of being away. But even so, it didn't register with him. None of them did. They were all just words until the moment he claimed them, and by that point, they were hardly human, let alone good company. The females, and they were always females, were the devil's favorite. And who was Paimon to deny his lord of anything? Collector or not, there were rules to follow and quotas to meet. And right now, the numbers were stacked against him. Paimon tossed the bloody tag in the corner of his cell and rubbed the back of his neck. 
kneading the tip of his spine with his forefingers. He hadn't collected a soul in five months, and time passed slower in hell. What was five months here was ten months' time on Earth. Another one of Lucifer's cruel jokes. With seconds stretching into days, a careful drop in hell's hourglass, the devil gave you plenty of time to think. And to regret. Paimon swallowed hard. Bound by his sins, he was to submit 23 souls per year as payment to the clan, but each assignment became more and more difficult to carry out. The last one, could he even remember her name, had been especially treacherous. Right when the knife was to her throat, she woke up from the trance and started to cry. She was screaming, pleading, and when she dropped the knife, the steel hit the ground like pieces of silver dropped from the hands of a dead man hanging. All Paimon could see was red, and life didn't start to fade back into focus until he pulled the blade out of her windpipe and took in the silence of her death. He shivered. The draft climbed up his legs and wrapped itself around him like a bad memory. He walked back into the cell and put the package on his bed. The small collection of hay sank at the touch of its weight. Paimon willed a pair of weathered jeans and black t-shirt onto his body, cringing at the feel of fabric on his flesh. The cloth caught on pieces of burnt skin, a flesh-filled tug of war depending on how he moved. He wasn't used to the comfort of clothes, and the shirt made him itch. Paimon dug into his arms, wailing as his nails peeled off skin in an attempt to soothe the irritation, but it wouldn't go away. He wasn't sure what hurt worse, the mortification or the healing. Paimon flinched as he willed on shoes that felt like cinder blocks around his ankles. Each step he took rubbed his body raw. He moved in a slow shuffle, fearful that he'd collapse if he tried to go too fast too soon. With no time to study, he left the cell armed with nothing but a name and a death sentence. Tonight, Rhea Harmon would die. And then, he would burn. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Wicked Library. The Wicked Library is a Ninth Story Studios production. NinthStory.com If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash wicked library. You can be a part of helping us keep the shows coming for as little as $2 a month. All supporters get wicked fun rewards like bookmarks, access to our archives, bonus stories, and more. The more generous you are, the more wicked the rewards are. The Wicked Library is proud to have Booth Junkie as one of our Season 8 partners. Booth Junkie is a YouTube channel dedicated to the tech of at-home professional voiceover, created by the very talented Mike Delgadio. If you've ever been interested in getting into voiceover, seeing what goes into voice work, it's a great channel to watch. And if you're interested in setting up a home studio, now is the perfect time to watch. Mike just moved from Pittsburgh and he's at his new home, just getting started at setting up his home studio from scratch. So watch his journey at boothjunkie.com. Complete credits and full show notes, including links and information from today's episode, can be found on thewickedlibrary.com. You can also find links to our Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes page. Until next time, go ahead, leave the lights on.
It makes it easier for the dark things to find you.